Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. According to uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a tradition is information or beliefs or customs that are handed down by word of mouth or by example from one generation to another, often without a written instruction or without written instruction. In 1903, the Russian czar at the time noticed that a sentry was posted out in the middle of the yard and for no apparent reason. And so he began to inquire about that sentry posted out there in the middle of the yard. And what he found was, or what he discovered was that in 1776, Catherine the Great had planted a rose bush out there. And she had posted a sentry to make sure that nobody stepped on her uh, fledgling rose bush that was coming up. Well, she'd been gone for over 100 years, as had the rose bush, and yet the sentry was still being posted there. Centuries ago, in a church in Denmark, worshipers bowed regularly to a certain spot in, in the, on a wall in, uh, in their worship area. Uh, nobody really knew why they did that until they were renovating the church. When they were renovating the church, they discovered that painted behind that wall, the paint, there was a picture of Mary. And so like 300, for 300 years, people had been bowing before this place in the wall, but nobody knew why anymore because it had long been forgotten that there had been a picture of Mary and that's why they were bowing there before that point of that place in the wall. And in not so distant uh, past, my brother was, uh, was preaching and decided he was gonna do something different in his church. And uh, he uh, told the men after they collected the offering that they weren't going to sing the doxology and they were not to come forward after they had collected the offering. And so he said, you know, they came forward that morning and uh, they collected the offering and they went in the back. He told the pianist also not to play the doxology. If you don't know what the doxology is, that's a song. It's uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know, we should sing it as a tradition, uh, after we picked up the offering. And anyway, he said at the end of the service, the men were in the back fidgeting, not knowing what to do, looking at each other. The pianist was looking at them, looking at Alan, looking at them. She begins to play, praise God from, and the guys march forward, right? (laughs) So you may have guessed, this morning we're gonna talk about traditions. And uh, I wanna be quick to say, as we begin, that traditions in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. But we're going to discover this morning, there are some inherent danger in traditions, and uh, Jesus is going to confront those dangers, and that's what we're going to look at today. This is a very pertinent passage, I think, for all of us in 2023, because we need to take stock of our own traditions. We need to look at our traditions, and we need to make sure, based on the dangers that Jesus is going to expound for us this morning, we need to make sure that we're keeping our traditions in right perspective. And this is also a very sobering passage as well. And I say it's sobering because in today's story, we're going to see that it's possible for our lives to be characterized by outward traditions, outward forms of godliness, or i.e. our traditions, but at the same time have hearts that are very, very far from God. So we're going to see that. And so it's easy for ourselves to become trapped in our religious practice or our religious 
religious belief or a religious ritual, and at the same time not have a true love for God. That's what the story is going to tell us. And it seems to me that it's possible for that even that to happen, and we don't even know it. So this is a very kind of scary passage, very pertinent for us. So um, in today's story, Jesus is not going to be talking about traditions in general. He's going to be referring to traditions that uh, have developed by those who claim to love God. So we call these uh, religious traditions. A religious tradition uh, is the transmission of a religious custom or a belief that is passed down from generation to generation. Now listen to this, though not expressly taught or commanded in the scriptures or in the Bible. Traditions... Uh, They don't have to be in conflict with the Bible, but we need to recognize that traditions are something different than what is specifically revealed in in the Bible. We have lots of religious customs and traditions. I remember when I was a kid, it was tradition for all the men to wear suits. You didn't come to church without a tie and uh, and a coat on. That was our tradition. Women wore hats when I was uh, a child, right? They all wore hats. That was the tradition. The tradition was we meet at 11 a.m. in the morning. And so you went to just about any evangelical Protestant church in America, and it would start at 11 a.m. That was sort of, that was a tradition. We had a tradition in our church here of greeting one another during this morning gathering. Some of you will remember that tradition. Uh, Observing the Lord's Supper on the first of the month is a tradition. Uh, as we mentioned, the singing the doxology at the collection of the offering was the tradition of our church family years ago. And then these customs are not, they're not wrong, uh, but there is a huge list of them, these things that, that are traditions for us. But traditions or customs uh, can also be practices and beliefs that we can, now listen to this, that we consider to be inferred from the Bible, They can be things that we do or things that we believe that we believe are inferred from the Bible. And that makes traditions a bit more complicated because we think that traditions or traditions become what we believe to be biblically taught truth. Let me give you an example. Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to baptize infants, but many people believe that the Bible infers that we should baptize the babies of of believers. And so... They baptize babies. That's a tradition. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that only baptized believers should partake of the Lord's Supper. But many infer that that's how it should be. And so therefore, uh, many churches have a tradition of not allowing children of of Christian families to partake in the Lord's Supper. It's the tradition of many churches. Again, traditions aren't bad, as we said, But there are some potential missteps. So let's dive into the text and let's see what they are. I have four of them for us this morning. Chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. And they observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. 
When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and kept, like the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? So Jesus is one day encircled, at least this is how I envision it, envision it. The Pharisees encircle around Jesus and they basically said, we have a question to ask you. Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And one of the things that we all need to know is not talking about hygienic washing of hands. Okay? There's not even any thought about germs at this point, I would imagine. And, and so they're not washing their hands because of the potential of germs. This is a ceremonial washing. This is a washing to remove defilement. The Bible indeed does... The, the Old Testament does require washing, ceremonial washing, to, to put, bring to an end defilement. So here's a couple of examples. In the Old Testament, the priest, when they were doing their priestly duty, they would ceremonially wash their hands, representing their cleanliness before God. If you were to touch a dead person, or if you were on your period, or if you had an open sore on your arm, you would have to wait a certain amount of days after healing for that to be declared clean. And then after that was passed and you were no longer defiled, you would then ceremonially wash your hands representing your cleansing and you would be allowed to go and worship at the temple again. Men had added to what Moses had written in uh, what we call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And, uh, and those things that men had written were, would become known as the traditions of the elders. And some of the traditions of the elders, for example, one of them was that if a Gentile touched you, you are now ceremonially unclean. And actually, as time went on, if you walked through the uh, marketplace and you didn't know who touched you, you could be unclean because you were touched by a Gentile. And then it became to the place that even the air that the Gentiles were breathing was getting on you. And so you were unclean. And so therefore you needed to wash every time you came in from, from going out to get the Gentile cooties off of you. Um, the rabbis taught that there was a written law, the Torah, Okay, that's the first five books of the Bible, okay? Uh, but they also taught, now listen carefully because this is gonna help explain what's happening here. They also believed that there was an oral Torah. Now an oral Torah is, a, as it sounds like, it's just teachings that have been passed down orally and they're not, it's, it's different than the first five books of the Bible. The rabbis taught that Moses, when he came off of Mount Sinai, he had the Torah, he had the written law, but then he would also expand on that written law. He would comment on it, and that became the oral Torah or the oral tradition and that was passed down from generation to generation and not only was it passed down but it was expanded on by scholars from every subsequent generation after that so they were always adding to the oral Torah and they were helping and basically the oral Torah was a commentary on on the written Torah you understand what I mean when I say that you see, if you, if you don't know this, there's lots of commentaries on all 66 books of the Bible. They're written down. They are men's 
seeking to help you understand what's written in the 66 books of the Bible. Well, at this point, it's just oral, uh, it's just an oral teaching. It's being taught by the rabbis one to another, passed down from generation to generation. And uh, they considered, the, the Pharisees in particular, they considered, now listen, the oral tradition or the oral Torah to be on an equal par with the written Torah. So the things that God had written down through Moses, that, that was one thing. That was the written law of God. The oral law of God was this, this interpretation that's passed down orally from generation. They considered it to be equally as authoritative as the written word. Okay, y'all follow me? The Sadducees, you know, we've heard about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, right? The Sadducees rejected the oral Torah, the oral tradition. They said that, no, the only thing that we, is authoritative in our life is the Torah, is the written law of God. Pharisees had equal weight on each one of them. Now, we find a similar divide today among Christians. If you come out of a Catholic tradition, then you would say that we have an oral Torah. We have an oral tradition, excuse me, not a Torah, an oral tradition. And that tradition would be the teaching of the councils throughout the years and the teachings of the Pope. And the the Catholic Church calls that the tradition. And of course, they have the Bible like we do, the written word of God. And the Catholic community would put equal weight on the tradition as well as the written word of God. And, and they would actually at times say that the, the, that the traditions are more important or more authoritative even than, uh, than the Bible. So um, we have something similar as, uh, as, the, uh, um, as the Jews did at that time. So the Pharisees, when they ask, why are your men not washing their hands according to the tradition of the elders? That's what they're asking. They're asking, you know how the tradition says that when you're out in the, in the uh, marketplace, you get defiled by the Gentiles. And so you need to wash your hands ceremonially to, to cleanse yourself of that defilement. Why don't they do that? So Jesus answers them in verse 6. And he doesn't really mince any words. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied concerning, correctly, about you hypocrites, as it's written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father and mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is an offering devoted to God, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many other similar things. So here's the first danger in our traditions. The danger is that our traditions are not on the same par as the word of God. Our traditions don't carry the same authority or the same weight as our Bibles. Now this should answer the question for the Pharisees. It should answer for the Catholic brothers and sisters today. The traditions of men are not equal to what God has revealed to us in the scripture. The Bible is for Jesus. In his case, the Old Testament was the final authority. 
Look at verse 7 again. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Teaching as doctrines, teaching as truth, the truth of God, as human commands. Abandoning the command of God. You hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your traditions. Jesus is, is being really serious here. He says, it is a danger that you can teach the traditions of men as if they are God's commands, when in reality they are just your commands. Jesus said to them, you have abandoned the command of God. Instead, you hold to your tradition. That's the danger of our custom Traditions of even our belief traditions is that we can reject what God says. And then Jesus gives them an example. The oral tradition, uh, the oral Torah taught that they could offer something to God uh, as a gift to God. Uh, they called it Corban. And, uh, and this Corban, when you offered this to God, I mean, it became the Lord's. You could use it sort of like, I guess you're, you're writing something in your will. So you got a piece of property. You can say, I want this property to go to God. And you offered us Corban. They would then take that and say, but you, now that you've offered that to God, you can't use that to care for your parents because it belongs to God. And so Jesus says in verse 10, I already read this, but let me read it again. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of his father must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. You nullify the word of God. Their tradition, which said they could take their finances and offer it to God, still use it, or their property, they could offer it to God, still retain the right to use it, but now they don't have to use it to help their father, or they couldn't use it to help their mother. I used to think that this was just really evil sons and daughters who didn't want, I mean, they're narcissistic. They don't want to help their parents who have helped them so much. But I got to thinking this week, maybe it's just people who are zealously loving God. They're zealously loving God and they're listening to the oral tradition of these Pharisees, which says you can offer to God your property. And then they offer it to God and now they can't use it. Jesus said, you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. It could be that in their zeal, people are offering their stuff in Corban and then they can't use it to take care of their parents. And Jesus says, in your traditions, you have nullified what God wants you to do, which is to take care of your family. Man's traditions, whether it be customs or beliefs, and remember the oral Torah was said to be the interpretation of the written Torah, they are not equal to Scripture. And we've got to be very careful that we don't paint a, a picture of God through our traditions that is not what he desires. Now try to think of a modern day example, and I'm, I'm going to use the Jehovah Witnesses as an example, and I'm not, uh, they got lots of problems with their theology and, and all, I'm, I'm not trying to give them any kind of kudos at all, but I, I, here's an example. When they interpret the Bible, the Bible says that, we're, that the Jews were not to eat meat with its blood in it, right? Remember that? They were not to eat meat. That was one of the, their kosher laws, right? Well, the Jehovah Witnesses interpret that and they say, well, that means I can't get a blood transfusion because I'm getting somebody else's blood. That's their tradition, right? That's not what the scripture says. I don't even think it's a valid interpretation of what God was trying to do with the kosher laws, right, or food laws back then. Uh, but, they, but they won't get a blood transfusion because of that. And if their child may be dying, 
and needs a transfusion to save his life, they will not give it to that child because of their tradition. I think they invalidate the clear commands of God, which are to rescue the little ones who are being taken away to death. I mean, if their child's going to die without a blood transfusion, I think they're, they're taking their tradition and they're nullifying the command of God that we should rescue the little ones. Or Proverbs 6.16, six things the Lord hates. One of them is hands that shed innocent blood. Now, in his shedding innocent blood, doesn't, it, it's not talking, it's talking about dying there. It's talking about killing someone. It's not talking about necessarily draining them of their blood. My point is that there, there's so many commands in the scripture to protect children that this seems to be a place where the traditions of men nullify the clear commands of God. So if your traditions lead you to disobey the clear command of God, be careful because you've got your traditions in the wrong place. Now let's go through, I'm gonna go through all four of these real quickly and then, and then see if we can't tie all that together. Here's, here's the second uh, danger of our traditions. If we fail to distinguish our traditions from God's specific commands or truth, we prove ourselves to be hypocrites. Verse six, he answered them. I, remember, he's talking to these Pharisees who have encircled him. And he says, Isaiah prophesies correctly about you, you hypocrites. As it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus quotes this Isaiah passage and he calls them hypocrites because they claim to honor God as God. And here's why I think he's calling them hypocrites. Because they claim to honor God as God. And say, God, you have the supreme position in my life. You have the supreme position in the world. And yet, they take their opinions and their thoughts and they supersede God's. They, they do away with God's. Or if they're not doing away with God's, they're taking their opinions and they're making them on par with God. A hypocrite is someone who appears one way, and, but in reality is another. If we value our traditions too highly, then what we're really saying is that we're just as smart as God. We're just as smart as God. We're saying that uh, we're just as authoritative as, as God. Our, our way of thinking, our understanding is just as deep as God. We're hypocrites because we say God is God, but we then take our stuff and we put it on the same par, and we put our traditions on the same par as his expressed uh, will, and his expressed commands. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he would have numerous run-ins with the Pharisees because of this issue. These men were well-versed in the scriptures, but their oral traditions often superseded the laws of Moses, or at least the spirit of the laws of Moses. They were hypocrites because they claimed God was God, his word is authoritative, but yet they denigrated it, and they, they, they put it underneath their own traditions. And the insidious nature of hypocrisy is that we generally don't even know we're being it, right? That's the biggest problem with hypocrisy. We're being a hypocrite and we don't even recognize it. And they don't recognize it. They don't recognize that they're being hypocrites for what they're doing. And yet Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. So here's another danger in our traditions. If we elevate our traditions above what God says, or listen to this, even if we don't put it above what God says, but we put it on par with what God says, be careful of your hypocrisy because you're saying you're just as smart as God and you know just as much as God and you're just as authoritative as God. Number three, 
The keeping of our traditions are not universal indicators of a person's love for God. I mean, this is, I know he's quoting Isaiah, but he's applying it to these men who are saying to him, why don't you keep our traditions? And and here's here's what he says. He says, um, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you. You're hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. They keep their traditions. They honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from God. The Pharisees would evaluate people on the basis of how they kept all these traditions and how they kept, I'm sure, the commandments of of the Torah, but how they kept their traditions. And uh, if they saw someone not following their religious traditions that they put forth or their customs or their beliefs, then, then they thought that that meant that that person was sinning against God or dishonoring God. But here's the real deal. Here, here's the scary deal, I should say. Jesus said they were the ones who were the hypocrites. They were the ones who were far from God. And here's the danger in your traditions. You and I can keep our traditions and, you know, we're, we're doing our traditions. You know, we're dressing up for church on Sunday. We're showing up at 11 o'clock or we're, we're doing whatever the tradition is. That we, and our heart can really be far from God. We can be doing these external things and not be close. Strange, isn't it? The Pharisees are super religious. They're teachers of God's truth. They read it. They memorize it. They discuss it. They protect it. They enforce it. They are in the Old Testament. They go to synagogue and temple. They observe religious holidays. They fast. They pray. They dress right. They talk right. They, uh, from their perspective, they're obeying all of God's commands and even their traditions. And yet Jesus said of them, you're far from God. You're far from God. And why? Because they're te- Why are they far from God? Because they're teaching the commandments of men. They're teaching the traditions of men as if they're the commandments of of God, and they're representing God incorrectly. They're teaching people that Gentiles pollute you. I mean, this whole specific thing here, uh, maybe this is why this really angers Jesus, but they're teaching that Gentiles pollute you if you get near them, or if they breathe on you, or if you touch them in the marketplace. Nowhere in the Torah, nowhere in the Torah does it say that. As a matter of fact, God loves the Gentiles. God has made Israel a missionary people, right, Joni? God has made Israel a missionary people to reach the Gentiles. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I am going to bless you so that you in turn will bless others and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because of you. Now, we specifically apply that to Jesus, right? Jesus came out of Abraham's family, Abraham's family. And so through all the nations, through Jesus, all the nations of the earth are are, are going to be blessed. God loved the Gentiles. And nowhere does it say that if you touch a Gentile, you're defiled or polluted. That was their commands. That was their tradition. And it misrepresented God. It's not what God meant. It's not what God ever said. And your traditions, you can keep your traditions and really you're missing God and you're far away from God. See the danger? The Pharisees, they thought, and they thought because they obeyed all their traditions, they're close to God, but they weren't. They were missing God altogether. They were far from God. Here's the fourth danger. If we fail to distinguish our traditions from God's specific, our worship is not accepted 
Man, this people honors me with their lips. This is Jesus speaking. But their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commandments. Wow, if we trade our traditions for God's truth, our worship is in vain. And, and I don't think Jesus is saying all tradi- traditions lead to vain worship. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying there's a danger of loving our traditions and replacing true worship of God with these traditions that we've created over the years. Over time, Pharisees and other religious leaders came up with ideas of worship. And here's what they taught. You must worship at certain times and you must pray in certain directions and you must repeat certain words and certain prayers over and over again. You must wash this and clean that. You must stay away from certain towns and certain people if you want your worship to be accepted. You only walk so far on the Sabbath. They elevated these man-made ideas to requirements of worship. And Jesus said, when you do that, you're worshiping God in vain. You, you totally, you're missing God altogether. I mean, we can do that today. I remember not too long ago of, of, of hearing of church that two people came, and they, they, they came, but they made them leave because they weren't dressed in a suit. Seems almost unheard of today, doesn't it? Almost unheard of. But, but even in my lifetime, we used to teach that you had to have a certain hairstyle, Right? You had, you used to have a certain, you had to have a certain hairstyle to be a godly person and worship God. You had to wear certain clothes. You had to sing certain songs, play certain instruments, or not play any instruments at all uh, if we were to worship correctly. You know, I don't know if you know, but the song we sang, the third, the final song, The Heart of Worship, was, was, was written by a fella who was a worship leader in a church, and he, re- he realized that people weren't worshiping God, they were worshiping the music they were singing. So as the worship leader, he stopped all music for some time in their church. I don't know what they did, whether they read the lyrics or whether they sang a cappella. I don't know what they did, but that was the song that he came back with after they had spent a long time of not using their wonderful band up here because people were worshiping this rather than God. And he was trying to say, hey, it's all about Jesus. It's not about our music, guys. It's about Jesus. Here's, my, here's Jesus' point. If we elevate our traditions too highly, we substitute them for Jesus, then, then we're not worshiping. We're not, our worship is in vain. Becky Pippard, who wrote the book Out of the Salt Shaker, she tells a story, and I've told this story before, but she tells a story of this really traditional uh, Baptist church. I'm sure they sang the doxology after they collected the offering, right? And uh, in this church, um, some hippies came. And uh, they, they came in the back door, and they walked down to the front. Instead of sitting in a chair, they sat on the floor in front of the, the pulpit area. And an old gentleman in the back got up and started walking down the aisle. And of course, everybody's with bated breath. What is this older guy going to do, right? And uh, that older guy, when he got up to the front, instead of doing what everybody thought he was going to do, with difficulty, he got down on his knees and he sat on the floor beside them. Nothing wrong with our traditions unless our traditions supersede the scriptures. Unless you begin to think that God cares about the outside appearance more than he does about the heart. I'm a young Christian. I'm just beginning to follow Jesus. And someone reads to me, or I read it. It's been so long ago, I don't remember. But I, I read the story of the picking of David from the book of Samuel. 
And in that story, you remember God says to Samuel, he says, go and anoint one of Jesse's sons. And every one of them come by, right? And David's not there. Everyone, David's the smallest one. He's the ruddy one. You know, he's, the, he's not like his brothers. And anyway, um, this is what God says to Samuel. And this greatly impacted me back then. It impacts me still today. Do not, this is what God told Samuel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God can see beyond just the external things that we, that, listen again, they're great. My traditions are great for me, right? The problem is when I elevate my traditions and I want to force my traditions on you or the things that I necessarily think I should be doing. God can see beyond our performance and he's really looking at the heart and he's looking at our hearts today. He's looking at our hearts, not, not your obedience to certain traditions. He's looking, he sees the inside of you. He sees the real you. And, and if you think your worship is about the outside, you think it's about your traditions, then listen, your worship is in vain. Jesus said our worship was to be in spirit and in truth, not so much form and tradition. You remember when and where he said that? You're to worship in spirit and in truth? It was with the Samaritan woman. And remember what she said to Jesus? Some people say we should worship over here. And other people said we should worship over here. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, there's coming a time where it's not going to be here or here. It's going to be in spirit and in truth. Worship traditions and appearances. Um, and not in heart. It, excuse me. The worship that is in traditions and appearances and not in heart and truth is a shift from the internal to the external. And, uh, and that ends Jesus' thoughts on traditions. And I think some of the things that we need to be careful with, with our traditions, okay? But he's not finished addressing this particular issue. Why, uh, why is this particular tradition of washing, why is it wrong? So verse 14, summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus turns from the Pharisees now, and he addresses the crowd. And he says, then listen to me, everyone. It's not what goes into you. And here he's talking about food, right? He's talking about food. He's not talking about germs. He's talking about food. He says, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you, causes that separation between you and God, that, that loss of relationship. It's not what you touch. It's, 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 it's not what goes into you, what you eat. It's, it's what comes out of you. Now, unfortunately, the disciples... They still haven't been with Jesus long enough to get this. They don't understand that. And so when they're away from there, away from the crowd, there's no comment on whether the crowd gets that or anything. Verse 17, let's continue reading. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. And Jesus said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach, and it's eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, 
Sexual moralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Now, don't you love that the disciples have enough whatever courage? There's no shame there. They say, Lord, we don't get the thing about how eating stuff doesn't defile us. We don't get that. And he's upset by it. Do you see it? I mean, he's upset by it. I try to think why he's upset. I, I think maybe he's a little bit upset because he thinks they should be applying themselves more. Maybe they should be able to think through this and they're just taking the easy route asking him. I'm not sure. But this is what he says to them. He says, guys, listen, it's obvious. When you eat food, it goes into your stomach. It doesn't go into your heart. It goes into your stomach, and then what's left over is digested and, and comes out. It's not the food that you eat that separates you from God. It's not the food that you eat that cuts you off from God. And Mark then comments on that, and he says, Jesus declares all food okay. So i got some great news for you if you like Thai food or Mexican or Chinese or Uruguayan food or American food, it doesn't matter. Food is not going to pollute you before the Lord. In fact, in the Old Testament, it wasn't what they ate that polluted them. Okay, remember, remember all the Old Testament dietary laws about they weren't to eat pork, etc. It wasn't that the pork in and of itself was bad. Those were, those were the ceremonial laws that God gave them to distinguish them from other people. That what polluted them or what set them, what, what sinned against God wasn't the, the fact that they ate this particular food. It was that they were eating the food that God commanded them not to eat. You understand what I'm saying there? It's not, it's not that the food itself was somehow evil. It was the fact that that was the food that God said you're not going to eat. And if they ate it anyway, then they're walking in disobedience to the Lord. Jesus says... It's not what goes into you that affects your relationship with God. It's what comes out of you. And then he gives us a list. Let's look at the list. Here's what, here's what, here's what pollutes you to God. Here, here's what makes us unclean. Here's what damages our relationship with God and with each other. Evil thoughts. Sexual morality. Theft. Murder. Adultery. You know, so far I'm doing really well there. Greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Those things, he says, don't come, they don't pollute you because they come from outside of you. They pollute you because they come from within you. They come from your heart. And when those things come out of you, that's what dirties you before God. James chapter one, here's James talking about this subject. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after the desire was con- has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. James says God doesn't tempt us. He says Satan doesn't even tempt us. He says our own flesh tempts us. That's what he said. It comes from within. John Mark Comer in that book I've been recommending to you, and I appreciate some of you said you've actually got the book, Live No Lies. But he says the flesh is the disordered desires that we each have. 
disordered desires, disordered selfish desires that show up enumerated in the list I just gave you. Here's the disordered desires that are in each one of us, in our flesh. Evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolish, and being aware. I'm, I'm going to read the list yet one more time. Mark Comer says, disordered desires that show up enumerated in that list. And, and I don't think that list is meant to be exhaustive either. I don't think Jesus is giving the exhaustive list of things that come from our heart. When we allow the flesh to rule and evil thoughts and actions to come out of us, when we allow greed and envy and pride and foolishness and self-indulgence, when we allow disordered sexual expression to come out of us or hatred of others, then we defile ourselves before God. It's not the food we're eating. It's not the Gentile air we're breathing. It's what comes out of our heart, Jesus says. That's what injures our relationship with God. Those things put a relational separation between us and God, and they result ultimately in our death. Do you understand that? It's not your failure to keep someone else's traditions that is going to ultimately bring about your death and destruction. It will be because of, it won't be because of anything external that you perish. It'll be because of what comes out of your heart. And here's a question for us, and let's be honest. Which one of you would say, I have never been defiled by an evil thought? I've never had a sexual uh, immoral thought or action come out of my heart. I've never had a theft come out of my heart. I've never had, man, hopefully there's no murderers in our our midst, right? But Jesus said, murder, the, the heart of murder is what? Hatred towards others, right? So, which one of us hasn't had hatred towards someone else? Or adultery. Uh, adultery of the mind, Jesus said, is, is the root of adultery of action. Greed. Evil, evil actions. Which one of us hasn't acted evil? Deceit. Selfish indulgence. Which one of us here hasn't been selfish in our relationship with others? Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. I'm telling you folks, I'm I'm probably guilty. I am guilty. I'm sure of every one of those things. They've all come out of my heart. And so they have all defiled me. This is why I need Jesus. And this is why you need Jesus. Because all of us have defiled ourselves before God because these things haven't touched us from without. They've come from within us. They've come out of our heart. Now listen, before you think it's hopeless, Jesus, when Jesus comes into our life, he changes us from the inside. And let me tell you what he does. He gives us truth to combat the deceptions of Satan. Jesus comes along and he gives you truth to combat all the deceitfulness of the adversary. He gives you the spirit to dwell with you to help you combat the disordered desires of the flesh. You know, we still have disordered desires of the flesh. However, we have the Spirit who lives with us, dwells in us, and with us. And He helps us. If we walk by the Spirit, we'll not carry out the disordered, the disordered desires, the, the, the disordered desires of our flesh. We won't carry them out if we walk by the, by the Spirit. And listen to this. And He gave us the church. He gave us the community of believers to counter the pull of the culture around us. 
You see, the adversary, the adversary is seeking to deceive us, right? And he's speaking to us, and he says, you know those disordered desires that you have in your heart that you want to live out? It's okay. Go ahead and live those out. And the world over here is also echoing that same thing. That's what we're finding in our culture now. The culture is echoing that same deception. The Bible says God, Jesus, gives us, I mean, he gives us what we need. He changes my heart. He gives me truth to combat that deception. He gives me the church to combat the world's echo chamber. And he gives me his spirit to dwell within me and to help me overcome my disordered fleshly desires. You need Jesus, beloved. And you don't need him as the rabbit foot to hang on your belt, That's not what I'm talking about. You need Jesus in your life to dwell within you and to walk with you and to train you and to equip you and and to help you and to comfort you. And he wants to give you that if you will just but follow him, if you'll but put your trust in him. That's what it does. I invite you this morning to trust in Jesus, to receive him, to love him, to follow him. I say all that because I I reject the idea that following Jesus is just an intellectual thing. It's not an intellectual thing. Yes, it it begins with the change of my mind, but it results in me following and loving and serving Jesus. And I want to invite you all to follow Jesus and love the Lord Jesus. I invite you this morning to subject your traditions to the truth of God's word. I've been thinking about how to make that practical because I feel like all of those four things seem almost esoteric. They seem almost to be really heady and not real practical. And, and, and so here's my one way of trying to make it practical. Just realize, folks, that so much in following Jesus becomes our traditions. There, there are customs, they're, they're how we do it, right? And how we do it might differ from how somebody else does it. So for us as New Testament believers, be careful not to equate our traditions of how we follow Jesus with, with that's how everybody's got to do it. Does that make sense? So just be careful, let's be careful. I think this is where Jesus talks about us judging one another. Be careful to judge other people's traditions. Yeah, now don't get me wrong. I think other people's traditions are wrong. I don't think it's right to baptize infants. I don't think Jesus ever wanted us to do that, okay? I don't think that's right. Um, I, okay, I'm gonna get myself in trouble, I'm gonna stop there. There's, there's all kinds of traditions that people have that I don't think are right, but at the same time, it's, you know, I gotta let God judge them, not me. And I gotta be careful not to equate my traditions with the word of God or with what's expressly commanded there. Does that make sense? Refuse to judge others and don't follow your traditions um, that don't follow your traditions or live by others. Let God take care of that. Well, those are my, those are my applications. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.